Christmas? I suppose. Christmas music is usually just so vile, though. It is all vile. That is because Christmas is vile. And that is a soundbite that you can use. Welcome to So Very Wrong About Games. I am your co-host, a man whose greatest regret is always the last thing he's said, Mark Bigney. And joining me as always is the man whose greatest regret is sitting across from him right now, Michael Walker. How you doing, Walker? Living in pain every day, sir. Yeah, well, that's your fault. This was your bright idea. So, uh, it's the last podcast of the year. Minor scheduling note, we are not going to be having an episode next week because we're all going to be busy with uh, the people that we loathe. Um... No, sorry, uh, with, uh, with with the people we love, uh, family, right. That's, that's I was going to say, I thought we weren't meeting next week. Yeah, thanks, Walker. Um, so, but we are going to talk about games we played last week. Then we're going to have a special holiday insert, which is our special topic for the week. We're going to briefly talk about what we like to call not forcing it, knowing the room. Then we're going to have a year in review where we're going to talk about all the greatest highs and lows of 20, 2017. And uh, then we're going to have a, a special earnest holiday request where we talk about how you can help a poor orphan named Walker for the, merely the, the price of a cup of coffee a day. So with that in mind, let's get right started with the games we played last oh, week. Oh wait, I want to talk about how to butcher a reindeer. This, you said I could talk about it this week. Yeah, but uh, I, so uh, first of all, I don't know why you brought the visual aids. Uh, I mean, the reindeer, maybe I could understand as some sort of festive thing, you could get the recording, but the selection and array of knives, Walker, I think is a bit excessive. You just gotta remember, the red light doesn't mean it's ready. It always is on. You just gotta cut that off first. That yeah. way you won't get confused. Well, that's, that's good to know. Uh, always a source of guidance and useful information there, Walker. So, uh, one of the games we played last week, we played this together, is a game called Flip Ships. This is a game by Kane Clanko and put up by Renegade again. Renegade uh, really making a, a strong push in the, the hobby market the past couple of years. It's a cooperative dexterity game that's roughly Space Invaders. You literally flick ships onto the cards that are your enemies. I enjoy the game, and I think it's some, some nice fun. The problem, though, I find is that it's brutally difficult. In order to win, you need to be able to attack a mothership, which is basically this, this cardboard bin that you construct that's a few feet away in the, the play area. And dear lord, is it ever hard to... I, I would love to watch a video of someone, anyone, who can reliably hit that sucker and just see what they're doing. It would be good to watch. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's it's the dexterity game where you can... Normal, normal dexterity games, you can show some skill. This one just seems a shot in the dark every time type thing. Well, I'm getting... Okay, having played it a number of times, I'm getting slightly better at roughly hitting ships, but not the mothership. I, I think I could sit down and, and... Well, actually, I did in the last game we played. I think I took about, like, 12 consecutive shots at the mothership, and I couldn't even detect that I was getting any better over the course of, of, of a single session I played several times. Uh, that's that's the minor sour spot. Other than that, it's it's perfectly fun. Yeah, it's perfectly fun. They talk about games like this where it's one you put on the shelf for a while and play out, you know, to have a good... I think this is one that you'd keep on the shelf a little bit longer than the other ones. But not not saying that there's anything wrong with this game. I'm just saying it's one of the ones that, you know, could, you know, stray a nerve quicker than most. 
I think I'm going to give it another couple tries where I just maybe even do the incredibly lame thing of sitting down and trying to hit that damn mothership and see if I can come up with anything. And if I can't, then maybe I might be done with it. Because honestly, uh, not that I have to have a game around that I can win all the time, but if in order to win, you need to be able to hit the, the mothership, you know, two to five times, and I can't do it at all, period, ever, and no one that I've played with can do it at all, period, ever, then it's kind of an anticlimax, just to put it mildly. That's right. But other than that, as I say, reasonably enjoyable game. Another game we played together this week was Gaia Project. It's another terror. it even says on the box, a terror mystic game. So I feel maybe that's a deterrent, right? It, it's When I played it, I I played a little bit of the app of Terra Mystica. I played the actual board game very seldom, maybe three times total. But I think this is almost a complete just reskinning. It doesn't seem that they changed it enough. It does seem like as though they just, uh, streamlined it a lot. But that being said, I still think it's a fantastic game. That's not to take anything away from it or detract from it. I think it's going to be a great game. i got to do some more reading into it, find out if there's any uh, imbalance with the races. Early to tell, but if... I mean, Terra Mystica, there, there was solid consensus that some of the races were just too good or too bad. Well, that's what that's what I mean. That's what I was hoping that they had fixed all that with this, but then I heard some rumors about that there's an even a bigger problem with this. So, like I said, I have to do some reading, I'll look into it, and I'll get back to everyone. Yeah, I, I find, yeah, Gaia Project is indeed Terra Mystica in space, and to a large extent, that is going to determine what you think about it. The cost is real high. They... Uh, they really, really made it expensive. I don't know why they needed seven set of player components. I think they could have gone, got, done just fine with four. If you're going to include seven player components, then by all means, let people play with more than four. It wouldn't have cost much to include the materials, just a couple more planet hexes. Even though it's silly, like, I would never want to play Terra Mystica with five or Gaia Project with five, but for, for the love of all things good and holy, if you're going to be charging more than a hundred bucks for all this stuff, let me use it. Yeah, when they handed me the box, I looked at the price tag, I was fairly dumbfounded i had no idea that it was going to be like i was thinking half of that price so i was kind of blown away by the price so for those people who don't know terra mystica it's a very much uh you have your board in front of you and as you do advances you're taking stuff off your board to improve your action pool right different actions you can do more stuff you put on the board and when you upgrade buildings your older buildings will come back so you sort of have to manage you know how in what order you put the buildings out yeah, and that was one of my complaints, actually, with Terra Mystica. At the end of about, you know, usually about two-ish hours, all things being equal, because it's a relatively involved game, basically all you've done is you've built some buildings. And, you know, that's fine. It's a reasonably solid game. I played Terra Mystica about half a dozen times, I think. And I and I enjoyed it. It's just a, a little too long, a little too scripted, uh, a little too much anticlimax, not really enough substantive player interaction for my tastes, all things being equal. And uh, I'll, I'll willingly play Gaia Project now and again, but uh, I think I'm a little less keen on it than you are. Which Another is game fun. I played this week was uh, Mystic Veil. There's an expansion that came out, and we pulled it out to the table, and once again, it was great. I had a great experience with it. Mystic Veil is a, a sleeve, one of the sleeve games by AEG, where all the cards go in the sleeves, you get upgrades, you slide them in, they're all clear plastic overlay type thing, you can upgrade your cards, you're always going to have 20 cards in your deck no matter what, and you just improve how great your cards are over time. It, we, I think we found out that it just doesn't play well with two. Like, oh. the scores so far in two-player games have been like either 80 to, you know, 30, or you know what I mean, it's been a blowout one way or the other type thing. 
Yeah, you're a big fan of Mystic Veil, right? How many expansions in are we talking I about? Think, I think there's three out. I only have two of the three, but I think I, I really like the concept. There's a superhero one that's out now as well that I want to try, and I think they're going to keep working on this sort of... Yeah, Custom Heroes. It's a, it's a different kind of game, though. It's a, a, a climbing game, I think. I have, I have no idea. I haven't looked into it, but like the same sort of thing. You build your cards up, right? So, absolutely. Another game we uh, played is a, a game we broke out, not for, since all, an absence, but we've been uh, playing it a little bit more reliably lately. Is Feast for Odin? This is uh, Uwe Rosenberg's, uh, you know, last medium heavy worker placement games, and uh, until his next medium heavy Euro worker placement game. And we're huge fans of Feast for Odin. We love uh, monkeying around with those uh, silly little Vikings. I'm actually hard-pressed to explain why I like it so much, because it, it involves a spatial element, which usually is a big turnoff for me. You get to, you know, acquire all these goods and valuables and treasures and slot them in this board and try to make sure everything fits, and you acquire the English crown, but the pointy bits won't let it fit where you want it to, and you're covering the space, and ah. Uh... But despite that, I have a great deal of fun with the game. If you like Uwe Rosenberg worker placement games and you haven't played this before, then by all means, do yourself a favor. I still prefer Agricola. I'm one of those weirdos that still really likes Agricola. Uh, Walker's rolling his eyes pretty hard right now. Uh, but, you know, I like... My, my favorites are definitely Agricola, Feast for Odin, and Aura at Labora. Those are my favorite Uvas. Uh, so, like I say, you probably already know whether you're going to like it or not. But uh, we've we've been getting it to the table again. We've been having a great time. I think it's great because it's a really heavy euro, but it's not a handcuffing euro like they like to do. Like you have, it's a worker placement that has sixty different places to go. Seems like a lot, but once you get playing it, then it it doesn't seem like there's that many. Yeah, it's remarkably approachable, all things considered. Uh, of, of course, the corollary of there being so many spaces is one of the, the downfalls of a lot of the Euro worker placement games, which is player interaction is not exactly at a premium. There's not a whole lot of it to go around, and so you're mostly just monkeying around with your own board or boards, and usually all that the interaction amounts to is some jerk shows up at whaling before you did, so you don't get to whale this turn, you'll have to wait till next turn to whale, but that's and that's not really saying much. No. And this game spawned off three other games. So, and like, like most of his projects, it always spawns. Like we have Baron Park, we have Indian Summer, and Cottage Garden. All, all uh, mutant babies of, of Feast for Odin. Absolutely, that's what happens when whaling goes wrong. You get mutant babies. <laughs> it's so true. Don't mix Vikings and whales. It's it's just wrong. It's an occupational hazard. It's so true. Anyway, another game that I played last week was Werewords, and this is another uh, a Ted Allspock and uh, Busier Games variation on uh, One Night Ultimate Alien Werewolf Resistance sort of thing. It's basically 20, 20 questions with a uh, traitor element. I wasn't huge on the game, largely because I'm not a, a big fan of 20 questions, but I'm not in a position to give uh, a, a thorough editorial opinion on it because we played with the wrong rules because the rules explainer showed up not knowing how the game worked and it was the classic sort of you know reading the rules uh during the game night sort of thing and we got started perhaps a little sooner than we ought to uh i will claim no responsibility for that part of it and as a result things weren't done entirely according to hoyle as they say but uh, nonetheless like i say it's you know it's 20 questions with a uh, hidden role element. I will say this is furthering the general uh, habit of every game working off of an app, which is you know a trend I have mixed mixed feelings about. But as a result, it pulls uh, the secret thing that you're that you're asking for. In twenty questions, 
you know, you're only really limited by your creativity. You can pick whatever topic you want. And obviously you can pick good good topics or bad topics, but here it's it's being chosen by the app. And so naturally that leads to a preference for things like pop culture or or uh, touchstones that they assume that everyone's going to know, but then maybe someone doesn't know, and, and or maybe uh, even worse, sports figures, crap like that. So uh, I, I always get a little bit hesitant about that. I'll probably end up trying it again if it gets pulled out. I didn't strongly object, but it didn't really grab me. Yeah, the app, app thing I'm looking forward to more. As long as it's not timed, like XCOM, I thought was fantastic, but I hate trying to, you know, I shouldn't say fiddle, like I'm not having a problem with it, but like having my face buried in the app, trying to watch the time and click on the buttons while trying to enjoy, you know, the game at the same time. So I hope that is not a trend that they keep up with. Yeah, I gotta say, I don't know what it is, but having a timer to a game, having an electronic timer... If it's just an electronic timer, like in Project Elite, or indeed using a cell phone instead of using the little electronic oven timer that comes or with fuse, Project Elite, yeah. uh, or, or Fuse, having an electronic timer I don't object to, but the moment that the app starts trying to build in other bells and whistles, it really drags me out of the experience in a way that I don't appreciate. And at the same time, I haven't seen anyone do it really well. This is one of the reasons why I, I wish that games with apps could really blow things open and blow me away with novel with novel uses of it. Show me something that I haven't seen before. Show me something unexpected. Really have some sort of editorial control rather than just having, you know, this is a deck of cards that has been randomized into an app. Like, yeah, then I'm just, then I just, I'm, I'm out a deck of cards and I'm out of the cell phone battery as well. But that's a, that's a separate topic, which we'll probably return to at some later date. True, true. All right. So with that in, that in mind, let us proceed to the special holiday insert. Not forcing it, knowing the room. Walker, you were the one who suggested this, and I think it's a brilliant topic. Why don't you set it up and and explain what you think of uh, what what your thoughts are on the issue? Oh, so it's mostly people who are listening to this. Obviously, are are rabid gamers, and you're having your family and friends over for the holidays, and you want them to enjoy this hobby that we have of board games. What the topics is saying, you just have to know your crowd and not to force it, right? You people are there to have a good time, to have conversations. And sometimes people try to, you know, force the game up or have it already set up, you know, before people even show up and people don't have a good time because you're forcing this thing on them. So I'm just saying uh, the topic is just know your crowd, like don't force it, just read the crowd, see if people have the board games, like say on the table, in the boxes, if people show interest, then you can just sort of explain to them what they are. And if they keep showing interest, then you just get more into it. I think we've all been there, whether we realized it or not, trying to force someone to to experience this perverse little geeky corner of the universe that, that, that we like to operate in. I've, certainly in the early days of my being in the hobby, I definitely overstepped a number of times. And now I'm actually, I'm probably a little hypersensitive in the other direction. Um, I, not resistant to showing somebody a game, but I, I definitely make sure that someone has to ask me a couple times in succession you know they'll look of course i've got a shelf full of the stuff i've got the standard ikea thing it's prominently displayed in my living room and someone says oh that's a lot of games some of these look interesting it's like yeah some of them are really interesting and then if they start asking specific questions or i'd like to try one maybe it's like sure i'd be happy to show you not a, not a, instead of having great i had this one in mind whoop, immediately on the table i know that a lot of people uh, I was actually discussing things with my wife uh, about uh, a holiday party we're planning on having. Uh, all all listeners are invited. Feel free to show up. And 
we she was saying, do you want to mention the invitation that games are a possibility? And I strongly objected to the idea. I think any time there's an event in mixed company, and by mixed I mean gamers and non-gamers, I think actually the Catholic Church won't marry gamers and non-gamers. Gamers and no, I, there's a well, there's a course you can go on. There's the last yeah. communication. Some yeah, it was. It, I think it was part of Vatican II. They considered yeah. it, but they decided that that was a step too far. And the moment you say that gaming is a possibility, some subset of gamers will show up, assuming that it's an inevitability. Whereas the flexibility to under you know know whether there's a critical mass of gamers and a critical mass of people who might be willing to try something is sufficiently high. That's really the responsibility of the host. And I've got no problem with events where you say we're definitely going to play games, and then anybody who shows up has to be expected to be willing to do that. That you know that's just the nature of invitations. But I've been at enough mixed gatherings where there's very pleasant conversation, people are having a re uh, a reasonably good time. And there's that person in the corner who's like, so when are we playing a game? When are we playing a game? Why aren't we playing a game? Should I go set up a game? It's like, no. And I, I, I hate that situation. I hate the situation where someone's trying to, uh, where where someone's being led into a game when they don't really want to play. It's it's just a bad scene. And so this this holiday season, no matter what you're, uh, what you're celebrating, whether you're celebrating that, you know, Santa Claus died for our sins or, or, or whatever, just, just know the room. Don't well, force it. That's true. That being said, do we? I have a list of some games here. Not a list, but a couple of games that you can play with a starting crowd. I think dexterity games are always the best ones to to bring in. So something or escape room games. I throw I've thrown in here too. So something like Meeple Circus or Junk Art, things that very you know easy to set up, easy to know you know no easy to teach, no real rules, just sort of balance stuff together and play. That, that was my best or card games things like based on trick-taking games a lot of family members will know the basic fundamentals of trick-taking games from euchre or bridge so anything like that would work as well just as you have to be flexible in terms of whether or not there's going to be a game you have to be flexible in terms of what you'd be willing to play and uh yeah it can be rough for for gamers over the holidays but uh just just know that i'm suffering with you i don't even like fruitcake well i don't drink it all tastes like brandy to me it's disgusting it's a shame. It's a great contact high off of off of whiffing the stuff. I think we can always go to our closet and we can play solo games when no one's looking. <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. Maybe I should set up Warfighter in there and, yeah. and, and escape every once in a while. Or we can play flip ships into people's drinks. <laughs> <laughs> flip ships beer pong. <laughs> there you go. That sounds great. That's an excellent suggestion. All right, so that was just our little public service announcement, and from from my perspective, just my sort of statement of commiseration with all my uh, fellow socially awkward brethren that uh, would rather guided social activity rather than unguided social activity, but such is the way of things. Well, with that in mind, let us proceed to our year in review, Walker. Uh, so, before we get started, you actually you don't you don't seem to. What, what were your thoughts on twenty seventeen in terms of game releases? Oh, I was going through the list of twenty seventeen games. And sort of comparing it to 2016, and I just don't really think, for me, and also I'm looking on, on BGG and other sites, that there isn't like that one big front runner or that one big group that we had last year. Well, there's of course there's one, but other than the one, there's no Scythe or or uh, Terraforming Mars or Feast for Odin, the big ones that we had last year. Even when you were like the top 100, there's at least I think about 20. 2016s in there, whereas there was only three, I think, 2017s. Some of that might just be time, but I, I, I take your point. Speaking personally, though, I thought uh, going over the list as as you were, I was actually surprised 
by how strong a year 2017 was. I think it was much better than 20, 2016 on balance, personally. But we'll get to the, some of that when we start talking about our top 10. And I've organized mine in... I, I compulsively rate everything on Board Game Geek. I'm one of those guys. Walker's a little more um, impressionistic uh, in, in his approach. So I've got mine structured in uh, in a, a strict top 10. His is more in just sort of... Uh, my, mine is I'm waiting to see what Mark says and then changing my list on the fly. Okay, fair enough. That seems reasonable. So I guess you want me to start it off then. For sure. I have, My list is complete for sure. But, you know, go ahead and, and start. All right. This is two different approaches to broadcasting here, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So number 10 out of 10, I have Xenoshift Dreadmire by Michael Chennault and Simon. I was a fan of Xenoshift. Strictly speaking, this is a standalone expansion, but nonetheless, I think it's uh, worthy of inclusion if for no other reason that it introduced a couple of really solid rules changes to Xenoshift about how the monsters come out, where the bosses come out. It's just a little bit of a cleaner rule set. Timing issues have been streamlined. It's just more really solid development work uh, from Chanel, who I think uh, tends to put out first drafts that I really enjoy, and then second drafts that are uh, easily backported into the first draft in many instances, sometimes more easily than others, but really showing a refinement on the basic idea that I already that I already appreciated. So I really like Xenoshift. Not not with more than two though, because I find the pace can really drag. But as far as deck building tower defense goes, you can't really do much better, I don't think. Although that's an awfully specific niche, but no, I I love the game and I love the I love this Kickstarter thing where they bring out an expansion or a standalone game and they offer everything from the original Kickstarter and then you just order one in big one big package and it all comes at once. I think I've hit two the. Uh, Deception. Deception. To- yeah, deception. Hong Same Kong. Thing. Hong deception, Kong. murder, deception, Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Whole thing. Uh, it's going to be uh, Seventh Continent. They did a uh, second Kickstarter just started up. Same thing. Expansion. Get the whole thing at once. Love it. Mine is going to be, since we're t- doing games that have another edition with very minor changes, I'll do Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. And I don't think we should talk very much about this. We took up half the show last time. Needless to say that I've only had it for about two weeks and have played it three times, believe it or not. I think that's almost the same number of times that my third edition was played. Jokingly, of course. Yeah, but those, but the two weeks have been only those three playings. You've done nothing but play Twilight. <laughs> that's true, yeah. And, and slept once in a while. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, on the other hand, slept during the playing of Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, and that, that was very efficient. That being said... They made some great changes, streamlined it up. Everyone seems to be liking it. Almost. Sure, everyone that matters. <laughs> so true. Everyone whose opinion Walker respects uh, loves Twilight Imperium 4. Or everyone that I care about and want to play with. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my number nine is Flick'em Up Dead of Winter. This is a this is another co-op dexterity game like Flipships. I prefer it to Flipships, though, even though it's got some rules problems. The rulebook is not the best, but... Honestly, uh, the look of the game, just seeing it set up on the table, the physicality of it, it looks like a minis game in a way when you're setting it up because you've got all this terrain, all the, all the figures going out in specific ways. The way that it handles co-op as a dexterity game is really good. The way Flipships does it is you just have these targets, these static targets on cards, and you try to flip things onto them. But in Flick'em Up Dead of Winter, the zombies rush you. You, you, dump, you put them on this tower, and then you take the support out from under them and they just tumble out of this tower kind of like a dice tower and if they hit you and you fall over you lose some life and that's the zombies charging you 
I love it. It's great. Not all the scenarios are equally good, but when it works, it's great. It sings. It's lovely. I'm having a great time of it. Yeah, Flick, Flick em Up Dead of Winter, very enjoyable. Yeah, we played that this week. I think it's. I, I agree with you. Hits it all. You have uh, Killing Zombies and Dexterity all in one. Can't go wrong. So I'll match your Dexterity game with another Dexterity game that came out this year called Meeple Circus. It's, uh, you get your components. It's like a, you sort of draft these different acts and equipment that you get for your circus, be they boards or barrels or acrobats or horses and cheetahs and strongmen and elephants. And then you got to balance them all in these crazy, whatever the cards, however the cards do it, to get you more points. And I think it's a great family dexterity game. Meeple Circus. My number eight is Ethnos, also from Simon. This one's by Paolo Mori, uh, an Italian designer who's done some uh, other interesting work that I like. Ethnos is now probably my go-to gateway game. Not necessarily intro, intro, intro level. That I, I agree with Walker. I think dexterity games are, are a great way to do that. But as far as an alternative to something on the level of, say, Ticket to Ride, Ethnos is now my go-to option. It's very simple. What you do on your turn is very straightforward. It's got, I like the art. A number of people complained about the components. I don't understand what their problem is. It's got special powers. It's got area majority. But again, all the rules are very straightforward. Uh, I haven't met anyone who doesn't like the game. It's not the deepest thing in the world, and there's a fair amount of luck, but it's quick. And it scales very well from two to six players, so you could do uh, you could do a hell of a lot worse. And as far as intro games go, there the quality of decision making is nonetheless reasonably good. So I recommend Ethnos, no matter if you're uh, an intro gamer or a uh, longtime experienced hobbyist. Yeah, I won't go on because that's in my top three as well. I I think it was one of the best games for this year for sure. So I will uh, cross you with uh, Baron Park. We already talked about this earlier. It's a Feast for Odin spinoff. Uh, it's uh, you're trying to cover up different parts of a map, and depending on what you cover up, will tell you what tiles you get, and you can expand your map out and score points to win. I thought it was a great little uh, spinoff from Feast for Odin. That is Baron Park. Yeah, I haven't tried that one. I should give it a shot. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I really liked it. Mine number seven is a game that we've mentioned in passing uh, very in the early days of the podcast many, many moons ago, Warhammer Underworld Shadespire. We've been exploring some of the additional factions in this game. This is a Games Workshop product that's really trying to break into the skirmish market. So you've got a, hex, a little hex grade and a very small number of figures uh, to move around. I always have a blast playing it. Sometimes you get weird results. There's not a whole lot of dice results to even out a nice probability curve, so sometimes weird stuff happens. But it's hard to take it too seriously when it's so quick. The deck building offers more depth if you want to put that effort into it, but if you just want to pick up and play, grab some cards from the available supply and go at it, and uh, you know do all the standard Games Workshop nonsense like, say, Blood for the Blood God, then you can do that. Uh, I've I've yet to have an unsatisfying experience with it. I think it's a really solid offering, and I can't wait to see where it goes in the new year. I hope there's going to be lots of organized play and lots of more factions. I really think this has potential to go because uh, just for the hobby part as well, because you only have you know eight to four to three miniatures to paint, so it's going to bring all these people back. It's like you know, well, you don't have to paint hundreds of figures or you know tens of. It's three or four, and you're done. So I really think... I'm really hoping that it takes off, because I'm really enjoying playing it. 
and that is Shadespire. It is indeed. What right. else you got for us in your top ten, Walker? Uh, what am I going to counter Shadespire with? I will counter it with Codenames Duet, another two-player game. I picked up Codenames Duet just to see how they use the mechanic, like how to bring it down to two players, and I really think they did a really good job taking this Codenames that you can play up to like 16 players to bring it down to two. I didn't think it could be done and still keep the same feel as Codenames, and I really think they did. They captured everything that Codenames offers and brought it into a two-player experience. And you played it. What do you think? I agree that it's really clever, and I, I do enjoy it. The I only have two very, very, very personal issues with it. Number one is uh, I feel like it's turning it a little bit more into a deduction game where I have to start looking at that chart to say what clues are overlapping with what. Long story short, for anyone familiar with Codenames but not Duet, uh, there's now three assassin words. One, of, one word is an assassin word for both players. One word is an assassin word for one but not for the other. And a third assassin word is an assassin uh, for for me, but an actual successful clue for you. And so I start looking at the, the 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 words that have already been covered by the clue or neutral, and I start trying to deduce what's left, and then my head starts to hurt, and then I start having less fun. That's probably just because I'm not smart enough to, to, to grok what's going on. But for me, Codenames is more of a, uh, a social experience, where someone throws out a clue and someone says, I think this leads to that, and you get to look at them and say, what... That's an interesting connection. I never would have thought of that. And then either, uh, you know, upbraiding them or, or praising them, case depending. And the, the recriminations, oh, the sweet recriminations, where, and it almost invariably happens, right? Where someone gives out a clue and someone immediately says, it should be this word. And then everyone talks them out of it. That's right. And they had it right right from the beginning. Exactly. But anyway, that's so so for me, what I personally enjoy about code names is more that and more the social aspect. But I will I, I agree with you entirely. What they've done to make it playable for two players is extremely clever. And if you're at all inclined to give code names a try with two players, I you really can't go wrong. So I, I don't necessarily view this as a, as a countering. Uh, he's Walker seems to think that this is some sort of elaborate kung fu match. But anyway, what I have next on my uh, on my list at number six is Too Many Bones by Adam and Josh Carlson at Chip Theory Games. I haven't really liked the other Chip Theory Games stuff in part because I don't like their approach to components. I, I think that they could do a lot better if they took an approach with, uh, say, something like Assault on Doomrock that gets a lot of the same stuff done with uh, much more expensive and equally functional uh, chits and cards. But that having been said, Too Many Bones is a very, very, very fun game. I enjoy it a great deal. Uh, the pace can drag with lots of players, but if you keep things moving and keep things brisk, and or if you play it solo, it's a great solo game, then you get a lot of customizability, a lot of asymmetry in the different characters, some genuinely surprising stuff that comes out of the adventure cards. Uh, so I think it's definitely one of the best adventure games of the past few years. Super expensive, which is unfortunate. Uh, again, I, I wish they'd just gone a slightly cheaper, equally functional route. But if you can get access to a copy, especially if somebody has the alternate characters, uh, give it a shot. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Nope. Yeah, I've played this a few times. I love it. The component quality is through the roof. Fantastic game. All right. Countering too many... You're bones. countering my Mantis style with your Crane style. So I'll counter that with Singrata. It's like a stain. The premise is stained glass. It's like a dice drafting game you roll a bunch of dice and depending on the color and the numbers you're going to draft that onto your stained glass window and it's neat because all the windows are different you can mix them up before the game and uh i, th I had a great time playing it and it's getting good buzz 
And if you have a... I haven't seen it anywhere on the shelves, at least here in Kingston. But, uh... Now they know where we are. I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh, now we have to pick up and move. I know. Do you know again. anyone in Hamilton? I've done it again! Oh. Um, so yeah, it is a fantastic game. If you see it anywhere, give it a try. That's Sangrata. Next up for me at number five, and I'm very, very pleased to see the return of uh, Reiner Knizia, at least to things that I care about. This is Quest for El Dorado. I used to joke that uh, Reiner Knizia is my favorite dead game designer. Not that I want him, wish him harm or that he's actually dead, but he hasn't really designed anything for you know, the hobbyist market in quite some time. His, his development efforts have been more on apps and extremely light fare, which is fine. That appears to be where much of the money is. I can't begrudge him. But Quest for El Dorado is his take on deck building, and it's a deck building race game where, uh, kind of like Clank, but I think stripped down to all the goodness. And it, it, it takes away a lot of the extraneous bits that I didn't quite like about Clank. And it's a really, really tight, quick, accessible game I think it's uh, an excellent game for uh, introductory gamers who've just gotten past intro stuff uh, or people who are roughly at the level of, of Dominion all day, every day, um, who don't necessarily want something too much more elaborated than that. But I've had a blast every time playing it. It's always tight and quick and close and enjoyable. It's got lots of interesting trade-offs trade by virtue of the way the map works. You know, you have the opportunity of just winging it and going by the seat of your pants, but there's also some opportunity for really clever investments early on in the game, looking down what you're going to need to cross. A lot of really clever stuff from the Doctor, which doesn't surprise me at all. This is... I can't remember the last time I've liked a Knizia design nearly as much as I have this, despite the fact that he's my favorite designer. He just hasn't put out anything recently that I've really enjoyed, so I'm very, very happy uh, to say that I loved Quest for El Dorado. And apparently it's going to be supported, it's going to get expansions, which, as we all know, for every deck builder is almost par for the course. And uh, I can't wait. There's plenty of variety in the base game because there's tons of different routes. Uh, genuine differences in routes, unlike the slight variations you get sometimes in race games. This has a lot of different map tiles that you can set out. I'm a big fan, hugely supportive, put out this year by Cosmos. Great return to form from the Doctor. If he keeps putting out stuff at this level, accessible but rewarding for gamers, then I think he can be back on top in no time. Nice. I will counter with Century Spice Road. This is a game I played years ago. Uh, I'm not sure who actually put it out now, but F2Z had it then, and then there was the big buyout, sellout, breakup. There was supposed to be two editions. I guess they have the two editions out now. But apparently there's going to be expansions, but the expansions will only be for one and not the other, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, Century Spice Road, it's another cubes into cubes, but it's easy to teach, easy to play, and it's fairly balanced. It doesn't, like, you know, run away with itself. So that's Century Spice Road. Uh, quick question, Walker. I know I said at the beginning that I had a a, a th uh, worst three of the year. Would you mind if I put that up to worst four of the year? Oh, I think that's, uh, you, you've reminded think, me that I think did that, I that read off the wrong list. No, wait, no, no, that's the right one. No, no. <laughs> no I'm just saying I want to add. I think that reminds me. There's uh, I, uh, cubes into cubes, man. Uh, anyway. On to my, uh, the rest of my top five. And my number four is another title from uh, Michael Chanel and Simon, uh, which is Rum and Bones Second Tide. As I say, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of what he puts out. I liked the first Rum and Bones. Some of the problems that people had with it, I, I kind of agreed with. Some of the problems they had, I didn't have any problems with. But Second Tide is a refinement and improvement place faster, cleaner. It's also more accessible in terms of figuring out how to, how to pursue victory, about having to force the endgame. It's 
kind of dumb looking, but not as dumb as, as it actually seems game of chucking dice and doing piratey stuff. I think it's great. It's a great kind of skirmish level tactical combat thing, as well as evoking some of the standards of MOBA games. As I've said before in other venues, I really, really like MOBA games except playing them. So I really like it. I really like the the, the board game approach to it, taking the format that I enjoy to this uh, this set of conventions that I think has a lot of tactical and strategic possibilities. So I'm a huge fan of Rum and Bones, even even though the pirate thing doesn't really do much for me. No, true. I've got to play it once, and I really liked it. It's like, oh, I want to, you know, my captain wants to run along here, jump on a rope, swing across, and do this and this. And he's, yeah, it's like, no problem. Just roll these dice, and you get to do it. So uh, that's what I really liked about it, for sure. I will counter that with Pandemic Legacy 2. Coming right off the heels of Pandemic Legacy 1 is Pandemic Le- Legacy 2. No spoilers here. They just pretty well flip the boat on it instead of removing cubes you're adding cubes we're only a few games in but i think they've done a great job so far great character creation great atmosphere so far and we'll see how it goes we haven't finished it but so far we're having a great time playing by flipping the boat do you mean jumping the shark i do not mean that whatsoever maybe it was flipping in midair as it was going over the shark sending all the people falling out of the boat screaming for their lives no no i think i think they've done a good job I, we'll see how it goes. Like I said, I've, I haven't heard too many bad things about it. I don't think it's going to be as popular as, as one, but uh, I still think they'll get the core gamers in there. Next up, my number three of the year is Guards of Atlantis, which is another MOBA-style board game. This, this, however, is... In many ways, it's, it's interesting that they just happen to fall right next to each other on my top ten. Uh, for two reasons. Number one, because they're extremely different games in almost all the fundamentals. They're both MOBA-type games, but they're about as different as they could be. And number two, I am pretty sure that uh, the some of one or both of the designers of the two games would not be terribly keen on being right next to each other on a top ten, uh, because I know how some of them feel about various game design elements. But anyway, setting all that aside, uh, Guards of Atlantis, where, where Rum and Bones is a two-player dice fest, Guards of Atlantis is a team-based game that can go all the way up to uh, 11 players. I played with as many as 9, and it worked great. Um, you don't want to play this game with 2, I don't think. And uh, there, are, there's, there are no dice to be seen. There's no randomness whatsoever other uh, past the initial setup. Everything else is purely deterministic based on the, the, the values on the cards. It's a card-driven game rather than being driven by action selection and dice. But it still has a lot of those MOBA conventions, pushing the lane, knowing to farm minions versus going after heroes, about deciding where to devote your resources, about knowing how to level up and when, and all those other great things that we uh, know and expect from those. Uh, my understanding is that the system is going to be supported, that there's going to be more stuff in the future. This uh, this design is uh, it, it's divisive. Some people don't really grok to it. Some people don't really feel it necessarily because, again... Because games of this sort often are driven by dice, and so if you're going to have a big sort of almost party game-sized game where there's going to be lots of fighting, having it be purely deterministic and card-driven is sometimes not what people are expecting, but I personally love it. I think it's a fabulous, underappreciated game. Guards of Atlantis, absolutely wonderful. Give it a shot. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, Unless you are, in which case you're wrong, so suck it. All right, I'm going to go with Anachrony. It's another Kickstarter game about time traveling, and I thought they really captured that theme. There's some big problems with it. 
I thought anyway, but I still really enjoyed the game as a whole. It really had about several different mechanisms that I feel as though all blended together well. All it needed was a few graduated piles of chits instead of just a complete random set of chits. But other than that, I think Anachrony was one of the best games of the year. I liked Anachrony. If I had a top 20, it would probably make it onto Anachrony. I agree. It had some issues. Uh, and I mean, if for no other reason, it was probably a little longer than it wanted to be. But yeah, solid, solid stuff. Yeah, the figures were great. If you got the advanced thing, all your little guys fit in the back of the mechs. Yep. And I thought it worked together. All the mechanisms fit together quite nicely, I thought. My number two game, my personal number two, is Sidereal Confluence, colon, Trading and Negotiation in the Elysian Quadrant, colon, the worst game title ever, colon, this was originally developed under the name Trade Empires, which is totally the game name that it should have been published under, colon, the board game, colon. Uh, it's... I, as I said when talking about Century Spice Road, I'm not so much of cubes into other cubes into other cubes, but for some reason, the trading element in Sidereal Confluence, the asymmetry, the different racial abilities, the, the way the economy works, and the fact that trading and negotiation is the way that it smooths out all these asymmetries. It's not about building an engine. It's about recognizing what the economy wants and being able to get the, you know, make good results out of the chaff that it's the economy is producing and to be able to supply what the economy needs. I think that's the key difference. All of that with the asymmetry and the lovely science fiction theme, into which, by the way, it must be said, the designers put in a lot of work. There's this wiki on BoardGameGeek where there's all this additional data about all the different races and their outlooks on things and their approaches to technology and so forth. There's, there's a tremendous wealth of information that was buried uh, well, not even buried. It's not even anywhere in in the game box, but it, it's it's there to be found if you're at all uh, curious. And uh, Sidereal Confluence is a game that goes from four to nine players, and it scales like a dream. If you really know what you're doing, you can even play with three, but that's not recommended for er earlier um, for earlier plays. Uh, lasts a solid two hours, no matter how many people are playing. It's it's a fabulous design. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I liked it in playtest version. Now that it's finally in the market, I can recommend it unreservedly. And uh, I can say with great certainty that anyone who doesn't like it and is sitting in this room is going to help. Yeah, I don't eat babies. Um, I will counter your space game with another space game, which is Clank in Space. It's another reskinning of, of Clank in a Dungeon, but I think the changes they made are quite fantastic. They really streamlined it down made a really cool mechanism with the with the color on the cards set collection building your deck makes it a little more more different things you can put into your deck like make better combos than you could in regular clank i thought that's clank in space i'd like it a lot better if quest for eldorado didn't exist uh but we've talked about that before so my personal top game of the year and i should note that in Almost any other year, I could easily see Sidereal Confluence being my game of the year. Um, but this is the year that Spirit Island got released. We talked about Spirit Island at length recently. This is by Eric Royce of Greater Than Games. And it's in, in very much the same way that I thought that I was done with cube pushers and Sidereal Confluence showed me that it's just that people hadn't been doing it properly. I thought I was done 
with cooperative Euro crisis management games. If you want to, you know, talk, try to lump in together all the all the games where you're fighting against the system, and it's just throwing crap on the board, and you need to 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 solve it. But Spirit Island showed me that it can still be done with tension, where it's engaging, where there's lots of innovation in terms of how to manage asymmetry and how to manage cooperation in terms of flooding you with interesting decisions and lots of new toys to, to, to play with. Uh, it's got narrative, it's got, it's got an arc, it's got great tempo. Uh, Spirit Island is truly a, an amazing design, uh, a, a fabulous, fabulous game, and I have no problems whatsoever uh, ranking it as my personal uh, favorite game of the year, uh, independently of our uh, shared uh, game of the year, which also deserves its all its laurels, but we'll get to that later. My top, not really its top, because I didn't say these in any order, is Gaia Project. I'm not going to go on about it any further. It's a reskinning of Terra Mystica, and I thought they did a great job of the three games I've played already. I've had fun each time, even though I've lost each time. Still think it is a great game. That is Gaia Project. Well, you can tell that a game has some depth to it when you lose every time. That's really the, the hallmark of a game with... with that rewards good decisions and strategic thinking. That's right. It obviously rewards, you know, good play and uh, solid logical thinking. That's yeah. why I, I, I can't play it. So we, obviously we disagree a lot. I don't think the, there's only a couple games really that appeared in both of, both of our lists. Uh, there were only a couple that we disagreed about strongly, but those that we disagree Strongly, we disagree very strongly. You would put them near the top, I'd put them near the bottom, and or vice versa. Uh, but w I think it's safe to say that we don't have any reservations about our about the, the, the So Very Wrong About Games game of the year, and this is not going to surprise many people. This is not a controversial choice, but that doesn't undermine the, its legitimacy, and that is Gloomhaven. The absolute masterwork of Isaac Childress and Cephalofort games that burst onto the scene and really showed people how to reinvent the uh, the dungeon crawl game with legacy elements and with a brilliant card play system and just tons and tons to explore in a massive box. It's been getting praise everywhere and it's very well deserved. Our game of the year is Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven, yeah, I can only agree. They, he came out of the box and so many, like, whole new world, not the standard, you know, elf dwarf fighter. Oh, good lord, yes. Stuff that we always have to deal with. And like you said, the card system, the damage system everything about it i think and even the components alone the sleeves for the enemies to you know turn it how you want to whatever level you're at to put the wounds on i think overall it's just a fantastic game we've played many 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 times and although i don't think there are many such moments anymore even after we played i think about 10 times there were still little things that were revealing themselves just about how clever the core design was i'm not just talking about stuff that was happening in the campaign or things that were being revealed over the course of the game although there's still lots of surprises like that just realizing that the way the ai works is is a little subtler than we perhaps imagined or the way a monster power interacted with the way another character's actions worked uh, subtly revealing more levels of, of strategic depth. Uh, it's just a really, really well-done game. Yeah, the amount of playtesting that had to go on for this game is mind-blowing. Like, the way, how smoothly everything works together is is exceptional. Yeah, this is, this is one of those moments, thankfully, relatively frequently in board gaming, where the hype is deserved. This is a, this is a successful 
two successful Kickstarters can, uh, Kickstarter campaigns off the back of a solid, solid, solid game where there's tons of replayability and massive value. I wish Isaac Childress all the success in the world for his upcoming endeavors because he definitely deserved all the success he got from Gloomhaven. I'm we're not we're not even done our campaign yet. I've I've gotten my money worth money's worth ten times over off of this thing. And uh, I I can't wait to see what what else the world has to offer just in terms of the box that I already have. Let alone some people are still are, some people are already clamoring for expansions. Uh, you know, more power to them if they finished the campaign and unlocked and tried all of the character classes, all of whom play very very differently. But I'm still enjoying exploring what it has to offer, and uh, I you know I I think that 2017 was a very 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 solid year with tons of great games. I look at my my personal top 10, and I, I think already that's an embarrassment of riches. These are amazing designs that I enjoy and still want to play more of. Uh, but I have no reservations whatsoever putting Gloomhaven at the very, very, very top of the releases of a great year. It's true. The, I Actually, I just quickly looked at my list, and believe it or not, I only own three of the games that are on my list. That's That goes to show... Yep. That goes to show your priorities. You, I what mean, I think of... 2017 i guess yeah i mean it's a it's a bit of a shame uh but uh let's hope that maybe you know 2018 will be more to your liking one can one can hope and one can hope yeah so that's our uh our, our personal top 10 in our game of the year we also have the uh special categories so let's start off right away with the mirror image of our top games and let's talk about the worst games of the year, or the games we thought, or at the very least, the games we enjoyed the least. Not necessarily that we think that the people who designed them are idiots who are bad people. Uh, that may very well be the case, but, uh, you know, we make no judgment on idiots. We're a couple of idiots ourselves, so we're very sympathetic. Uh, I'll just... Uh, we never judge. No, 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 ne never. It would be, look, we're game reviewers. We can't judge. That's right. Our job is to do a shitty rules explanation and then say we enjoyed the game. And That's... Exactly. Hype machine and, yeah. which, and, and try to push the sales. Super inflate. The market, yeah, and, and yeah, I'm I'm glad we're on the same page. Good. So my third worst game of the year is a game called Gloom of Killforth. It's uh, this is by uh, Tristan Hall and uh, Hall or Nothing Productions. This game, I feel a little bad picking on it because it's a it's a first time designer by his own uh, publishing company. In part, this is driven by disappointment because the art by Anya Krichkovska is absolutely stunning. But there are two major problems. One of them is a direct corollary to that. I think that the graphic design of this game is pretty crappy. It doesn't do the art justice, and I found that a bit frustrating. And secondly, this was like a throwback to Talisman-era adventure games, where you just wander around. It's basically a scavenger hunt, where you're wandering around trying to collect keywords, and the keywords are on these cards that come off of random decks. So you're just wandering around a map, hoping that the right keywords come up. And then when the right keywords come up, you try to dice off against some sort of challenge. It's like, yeah, we've been doing this for 30, 40 years in games, uh, but this this just didn't do anything for me. I was extreme. Not only was I disappointed, I also thought it was a relatively bad design. Some people like it. More power to them. Some people are wrong. Gloom of Killforth. I think one of the worst of 2017. All right. My my first one is uh, Bunny Kingdom. I read about this on online. It was getting, like, most anticipated game of an event, so I said, hey, this is something I've heard, I looked into it, I, I said, hey, that looks kind of interesting, I show up at uh, the local game night, and someone has it, and I start looking at the art, and I see the map, and all the components, and I'm looking forward to this game, it has little bunnies, the art is fantastic, 
I start playing this game. The mechanisms on the map itself are fantastic. You're building buildings and there's a multiplier. All that is great. And then the actual hidden victory points and card system comes in. And I fall asleep and don't want to play ever again. I confess, by virtue of this account, I'm kind of... I'm, I'm vaguely curious. I would like to try this at some point just to see if it's as bad as you described. Not that I distrust you. I don't want to say it's a bad game. It's just not for me. It's like this this hidden surprise scoring at the end of a game where it's like it looks like you're doing well. It's like, oh, okay, we're all sort of together. And then some guy flips over a few cards and says, oh, I doubled everyone's score. And oh, yeah, not for me. Yeah. My second worst game of the year is First Martians Adventures on the Red Planet by uh, Ignazi Trevishek and Portal Games. I have... There's only one Portal Games game that I really like, and that's 51st State Master Set. And even then, I think it's only because that's their third shot at this engine. It was Imperial Settlers to 51st State to 51st State Master Set. So maybe in another, I don't know, seven years of Robinson Crusoe derivatives, they'll, they'll come up with something that I like. I didn't like the way it handled the app. I did, the rulebook was a mess. I didn't like any of the scenarios. It was all just playing whack-a-mole with, with putting, getting systems up and running. Ugh, I, nothing about it engaged me. I found it tiresome and tedious. And... Uh, it's a shame because Portal does some interesting stuff. I just, every time I've played one of their designs, other than 51st State Master Set, it's just either it was some combination of not for me or they just weren't firing on all cylinders and I, I felt that there were issues holding it back, so. All right, my last worst game of the year, I only have two. And this is a game called Magic Maze. It falls in the same category where it's bad to me because obviously people like it, it's getting good buzz. But someone brought this to, this to the table, and they set it up, and they said, okay, your job is to go left. And I went, okay, then what? And there was nothing else. <laughs> and I said, are you kidding? I move things left. This is the game. This is what people have been talking about. This is what I've been looking forward to. I get to move things left. This is a game. To me, this is not a game. Moving left is not a game. <laughs> All right, that, that's a good tagline. Moving left is not a game. <laughs> that, left maybe is, that should be our new slogan. I'm going to get a t-shirt. Moving yeah, left yeah. is not a game. Sounds good. Zoolander the board game. Only have you tried one. Magic Maze? We haven't talked about Magic Maze. Uh, I have. I'll have something to say about it later. All right. My reactions are so much different than yours. My, I think the worst game I played this year was definitely Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. No doubt about it. And this is in all sincerity. I don't say things just to make people angry. When I say things just to make people angry, I usually talk about their face. Uh, it, it just... Everything about the design, I thought, was a miscalculation. As a, Just to give a brief summary to my, my incredibly long, unfocused rant last time, it's simple where it should be robust. It's complicated where it should be smooth. It's simplistic where it should be complicated. There's just nothing about this kitchen sink design that I think works particularly well or works I'm, particularly I'm well together. I think it's, it's a uh, missed opportunity thing. Like, I have this feeling as well it's when i play a game and you and you see where there was a missed opportunity where they could have done something great and didn't and it just makes you hate the game that I don't, much more i don't see the greatness in twilight imperium 4 i don't see i don't see the kernel of something no, that no, i no, wish had been developed no, but elsewhere they, no but they could have done something better is what you're saying is that yeah any anything that's bad could theoretically have been good this is not uh, my my ire at twilight imperium 4 
is not that it's so close to greatness, but it ends up being trashed by virtue of a couple of missteps. There are plenty of things, plenty of games, movies, etc., that I feel that I feel that way about it. I didn't like anything about Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition. I wanted it to be over, and th- sweet, thankfully, the sweet blessed release of my victory. That was my celebration when I won. It was like, ah, we're done. Not that, not that I got, not that I got to win. But anyway, I've said enough about Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition. If you want to hear more, listen to the episode where we talk about it. Uh, I've I've had my say, and uh, I don't want to rain on anyone else's parade. So let's talk about something a little bit happier. This is this is usually uh, something that I enjoy talking about, and that's best components of the year. Walker, for you, what game had the best components? It's not a game that I liked, but uh, I think every time I saw it on the table, or when anyone sees it on the table, they are definitely drawn to it and want to see what it's all about. It's called a game called Yamatai. It's a great, colorful, huge wooden components. Once it's all set up, it really looks fantastic. Yeah, Days of Wonder knows how to put out a good spread, that's for sure. It's so true. Yeah, I haven't liked Days of Wonder designs for a while, but Yamatai, it, it is it is awfully pretty. Mine's a game that you actually talked about earlier, and that's Anachrony. I think, honestly, Anachrony, uh, there were a lot of strong contenders, a lot of uh, games with lots of really attractive minis. In fact, several of them are in my personal top ten. But there's something about all the resources in Anachrony being these, uh, you know, the, the cute little water droplets I really liked. Uh, the fact that your workers are a different shape on the board. There was lots of clever physical design. If your worker needs to go by themselves, it's a certain shape. If it's an instant action, it's a different shape of action token. So it, the different components queue into the different actions. And there's, uh, there's two ways you can play Anachrony. There's the right way with the giant stompy plastic mechs. And then there's the wrong way without them. I think it's really a shame. You you can the base game you can buy by itself, uh, but you really need the what's called the exosuit commander pack because that's what introduces the minis. And of course, when I say that Anachrony is the best component of the year, I'm talking about the proper way to play the game, not the mistake way to play the game. Exactly. You literally take your worker and you slot them into the mech, and then they go stomping off to the capital. Well, I mean they don't stomp by themselves, but of course while they're on the way to the action space. You do have to pause and go, because they're just they're great minis in a sort of uh, vaguely retro futuristic sci-fi way, and there's a number of clever gameplay innovations with respect to just information queuing, like like I talked about, and I just love putting the workers in the max. It's just so fun and just sending them out. I I think great components all all around, very colorful, attractive game, best components of the year for me. So next up, we have Best Game You Didn't Like. This is a game... This is, I think, a, a very important category for editorial purposes. This is a game whose virtues you recognize, and for whatever reason, you couldn't really appreciate it. Because I think there's a difference between... Sometimes Walker disagrees with me, but sometimes we're on the same page. On this, I, I think we're on the same page. Sometimes there's a difference between uh, you know, bad games you like, good games you don't like, when I rag on Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, I say it's a bad game, and Walker sometimes says, well, you know, it's just not for you. No, no, no. It's a bad game. But there is, I think, a, a very large category of things uh, where, regardless of its inherent virtues, you just have either a fondness for it or an aversion to it. So what, for you, in 2017 was the best game you didn't like? I'm just going to go back-to-back Yamatai. It was the best components, but when I played it, I just it just wasn't for me. Uh, it was quite a while ago that I played it, but I think it was uh, just the I think the turn order, if I remember correctly, was just too important. And mm. it's yet another one of these things where you are handcuffed all the time. 
and there just seemed to be a best choice sort of like the Puerto Rico syndrome where you know this is obviously the best choice to take this is the best occupation this is the best commodity to take and the game just sort of plays itself type thing for me the best game I didn't like was Magic Maze actually I think I think Magic Maze is a solid design it's it's a cooperative puzzle game it's a cooperative maze game and to a certain extent, I was intrigued by the premise, but I knew I knew going into it that I probably wasn't going to like it because I do not like puzzles. And when it's a real-time cooperative puzzle game, I internalize stress. And I know I'm letting the table down because I, I'm no good at stuff like that. It's the same reason why I don't like most of the roles in Captain Sonar. That's a real-time cooperative, you know, spatial puzzle game. And the way that Magic Maze parcels out the different movement, I actually think is very clever because that's what forces the cooperation. And the reason why it's not a trivial game is because you're not allowed to speak. The only form of communication you can do to your partner, to your partners around the table, other than actually making moves, which is an indirect form of communication, is there's this red pawn, and you just put it in front of somebody to indicate to them, take a move, there's something for you to do. I like how you, you say put. In our games, it was slamming and throwing and pounding on the table in front of the person. In my group, it was mostly a question of the nature of the eye contact while it was being placed. The, gotcha. the, the daggers from the eyes as yeah, it was very yeah. slowly and meaningfully, here's a red pawn. <laughs> and... I, look, I think the way the different scenarios work, I th also thought was very clever. The, the the different map setups were neat. It's just really not for me, and I hated playing it. Even as I was thinking, as the game was unfolding, oh, that's very clever. That that that's a well done thing. The, the biggest part about Magic Maze that I loved are all your options. Like you can go left, or you can move a guy left. It's just it. I know your mind just blew there. I know, but it's true. That's Magic Maze. All right, Walker. What was the worst game that you did like? Worst game that I did like. This is a game... These are for games that you know are terrible, but for whatever reason, you still love playing them. And for me, it is a Kickstarter called Unfair. It is a card drafting game where there's a pool in the middle that everyone buys cards from, and you create a amusement park. And that is the part I loved about it. You're creating your little park, you're doing your Ferris wheels and your stands, and you're improving the rides. You're giving them, like, deluxe seating and putting vending machines when they come in and making sure there's restrooms on the rides. And there's all these different upgrades and different rides you can take. But then it gets into the part where you're supposed to say, oh, boy, isn't that unfair, where it's got these ridiculous take-that cards that just come out of nowhere and just bogs the game down and makes it not unfair it makes it unfun yeah it's a shame I, a bit of a missed opportunity with the theme the worst game i liked uh this year was massive darkness the other simon release which is getting slagged in a number of editorial circles and i can understand why in part because they shoehorned in a campaign system when the game really doesn't want one but as so zombicide never really did much for me not a huge fan of the game, but Massive Darkness is a slight tweak on the formula, and then it turns it into the stupid dice chucker that is sometimes what I want to play. I mostly like slightly smarter dice chuckers, but every once in a while I want to have my, you know, dude kit him out with some weapons and just go slaughter a whole bunch of, of good-looking minis. And when I want to turn my brain off and do that, that's when I pull out Massive Darkness. It's not particularly clever, it's not particularly good, but, you know, damn, I'll enjoy it. Nice. 
Next up, we have The Biggest Disappointment. This could be a game that we've, you know, we're really looking forward to, and then when you finally got to play it, dun 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 For me, it was Lisboa. I really wanted Lisboa to be like our group's Terra Mystica, where, you know, people play it multiple times, get different strategies, and get competitive at it. I was looking at Lisboa. It looked so beautiful. The components were great. The way it was laid out. And then I got to play it finally. And it was not the experience that I wanted. It seemed very handcuffing. And was not a pleasant experience. I'm not going to go into it again. I already talked about it before. But it was just not for me. So that's why it was my biggest disappointment. Fair enough. My biggest disappointment this year was The Expanse. I talked about it a couple weeks ago as well. I really like Jeff Engelstein's work. This is probably the weakest Jeff Engelstein that I've played, that I remember playing. And it was really all the gameplay innovations, all the clever bits in the system just failed to pay off, generally. All the things that I was looking forward to ended up being relatively pedestrian and mechanical. Uh, I mean, the, the, the central problem for me was if you're going to have an ops versus event tension, the events need to be good and interesting. And when they're not, then the game can fall flat. So what was left for me was a relatively pedestrian, pasted-on theme area majority game. And uh, that's not good enough. There are lots of competing tight Euro designs in that space. And, uh, I, you know, part of it was my fault. I just get really psyched whenever I see that there's a new Jeff Engelstein design, because, again, he usually does something interesting to my tastes, but uh, it just really fell flat for me, so I was very disappointed. Which is not to say that it's it, it doesn't make my list of the worst. It just, I had high hopes, and they were dashed. Now, the sunnier corollary to this is the biggest pleasant surprise of the year. This could be something that you were expecting to be bad, or something you didn't have any expectations for at all, and just... Surprised you in a very pleasant way. For me, no contest. It's Sid Meier's Civilization A New Dawn, the Fantasy Flight release from just about a month ago. I didn't know this was coming out. I didn't have any uh, expectations for it. I'm generally pretty down on FFG's designs. I didn't like their previous Sid Meier's Civilization game. But this is setting the occasionally unfortunate rulebook aside. A very clean design, very straightforward, with lots of clever bits. It's by no means perfect, and it didn't crack my personal top ten, but it's a very enjoyable game that I look forward to playing again. And as I say, it caught me completely flat-footed. I was not expecting this. Yes, I, I really enjoyed it, too. Mine is by Games Workshop. Now, what have I haven't seen anything... They've put tried to come back into the board gaming market. I have not seen anything from them that really struck a chord with me. Even back in the day, everyone you know says you know Talisman was a great game. It was a great game thirty years ago, <laughs> but now they've come out with Shadespire, and I had no expectations of this. I thought, oh, here we go again, another Games Workshop. You know, all we're doing is putting a bunch of figures into a box so people will buy you know a great deal on figures. But no, this is a legitimate game, and I really hope that they keep supporting it. That's Shadespire from yeah. Games Workshop. You and me both. On that topic, just as a final uh, a, a final category here for uh, the games of 2017, there's the ones that got away. These are things that, sadly, Walker and I, as professional board game journalists, very well paid, I should note, uh, we do our best to cover all the bases so that we can tell you what to think about everything and anything. 
But there are some games that we were looking forward to trying or some games we wanted to be able to try in 2017 that we weren't able to, uh, partially because uh, we blew our mo all our money on yachts uh, or because we were uh, busy doing other things, like, for example, being on yachts. So one of them, actually, that we've, we've talked about a number of times, just in terms of market developments and our expectations, was indeed from Games Workshop, and that's the new Necromunda that got, that got released. Neither of us have been in a position to try it yet. It's uh, in part because it's a relatively significant financial investment. I think sooner or later we're going to be in a position to give it a shot and see what they've done to change the formula to update it, uh, get, get, our, get a sense of the new terrain rules and, and the new campaign developments and all those kinds of things. But uh, here's hoping that we'll get a shot in 2018. We can only hope. Mine would be Seventh Continent. I know I'm in the second Kickstarter, but I haven't even had a chance to try the original game, but it's got good buzz, so I'm looking forward to giving it a try. It's like a super adventure, legacy-type game, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, another one that I haven't tried yet, but I do at least have reason to suspect I'll be able to try it before too long, is the latest release by Matt Gertz. I joked before that... Um, Reiner Knizia, to a certain extent, is is my favorite legacy game designer. My favorite living game designer is Matt Gertz. I've yet to play a Matt Gertz design that wasn't at the ver at, at at the lowest, extremely good. That's as bad as his des designs have ever gotten for me. And in my personal top ten of all time, he's got uh, two designs uh, easily: Antica and Imperial, both brilliant, brilliant, brilliant games. Uh, Transatlantic is his newest one. It's kind of a variation on the card play system that he first introduced in Concordia. And uh, I helped, full disclosure, I, I helped edit the rulebook and uh, I gave some feedback on the cards. But all that having been said, I haven't played it yet, which is a shame. I'm looking forward to giving it a shot. Mine would be Rising 5. I don't have a huge blurb on it because I haven't even been able to, like for this is, we haven't had a chance to try it. I've heard good reviews on it. I've watched a bunch of stuff, and it, it's another app sort of puzzly game. I'm looking forward to trying it. Rising 5. Maybe you'll be able to do more than just turn left there. We can only hope. All right. Best movie of 2017, Walker? Logan. Get out. All right. So that just about does it for the best of 2017, the year in review. We hope you enjoyed our look back, and we hope that you'll join us in the future for our talk of an, new and upcoming things in 2018, hoping for a great 2018. It's so true. Quick notes. Remember when you unwrap that board game from your significant other, and you've already bought it and hidden it in the closet? Make sure you look surprised. And on another quick note, uh, we're not really pushing this podcast anywhere, so please, if you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends about it. And like we mentioned before, the BGG fundraiser is still going on make sure you go there and pledge there as well please absolutely uh walker just just as a note walker came to me uh last week uh walker's our newest listener actually he hadn't been listening to any of any of the the episodes that i so dutifully and carefully and painstakingly edit and he said hey you know it's actually pretty good hey, so I, I live it you know so yeah yeah so so just take take the uh the feedback from walker this is a solid product that we've we've got going on here anyway if you enjoyed it all uh, please tell your friends, try to spread the word. We would uh, very much like to welcome more people into the uh, Spiger family, which is, uh, I'm going to try to, to get that to take off as an acronym for uh, for So Very Wrong About Games, Spiger. Death Swagger. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then maybe one day when we when and if we get merch, we can have Swagger Swag. Swagger Swag. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, Sweet. I'm so cool. But uh, we would appreciate a great deal. It would make Walker very happy. He, 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 he just wants to be loved. That's true. I want to stop crying myself to sleep every night. That would be great. 
Well, with that in mind, like uh, just a reminder, we will not be releasing an episode next week, but join us in the new year where we will remain, as ever, so very wrong about games. You can find us on various corners of the interwebs. You can reach Michael Walker at Just Roll the Dice. That's J-U-S-T-R-O-L-L-D-A-D-I-C-E at gmail.com. You can find me, Mark Bigney, at All the Games You Like on Twitter. You can also find our podcast's permanent home on Facebook, which is where we curate most of the comments. We do read everything you, you send to us, and we get back to you when and if we can. And uh, we would very much appreciate it if you join us in the new year. So until then, please do take care. Later, hater. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Have a safe winter. See you next year. You've been listening to So Very Wrong About Games, produced by Michael Walker and edited by Mark Bigney. Special thanks goes to What Does It Eat for generously allowing us to use their most excellent song, FOS, as our theme. You can find them at whatdoesiteat.com. You can reach us by email at soverywrongaboutgames at gmail.com or on Twitter at sowronggames. Thanks very much. See you next time. And always, try to be right, but remember you are so very wrong. <laughs>